Yeah, that was a... Missing the mark. 
Okay, that's what it is. Fear is kind of missing the mark. What fear is, is a belief that something's going to happen that we have no idea what's going to happen. So it's kind of missing the mark. Well, interestingly, the actual definition of sin is missing the mark. So I want you to look at fear as missing the mark. So therefore, if you have fear, it's sin. I want you to look at it that way. The reason I want to look at it that way is because it'll give us a second to stop. To stop and think, am I being fearful? Am I sinning? And it'll give me a second to assess and look at the situation and realize I don't have to be fearful. How, I mean, we wake up in the morning and people turn on CNN or whatever other news they want to turn on. And that's the first thing they feed themselves, right? That's the first thing we feed ourselves. And the, if that's the first thing we feed ourselves, that is the way we will respond to everything the rest of the day. Whether you're a believer or you're not, or this is the first time ever being in a church, that's the truth across the board. Whatever you feed yourself is, what, is how you're going to respond to every situation. So I always tell everybody, you know, instead of waking up feeding yourself on news, how about waking up and feeding on the Word? Because this is how you'll view things, and this is how you'll respond to situations. And poor Zachariah, who had to go mute for quite a few months because uh, he didn't believe either. And uh, that's where we're at. Anyways, that was a side note, and I could have rant about that all day long. Let's get into Luke here. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 starts off in the sixth month. Now, I'll stop right there. That means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, that's what, remember, we just talked about Elizabeth. So when it says in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, it, it says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. Now there's lots of names given to us right there in the beginning. We have Gabriel, which we know who that is. We have Mary. We have Joseph. And then the reference to the house of David. And it's important. We're going to look at this. But it says that the important thing is that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Now to us, in our Americanized culture, the word betrothed really doesn't mean anything except what we watched on like Game of Thrones or something. Or some king show that you'd watch. So we're like, oh, I know what that is. That means, you know, they were chosen to be married. Well, yes, but there's a little more to it. Let me expand on a Jewish betrothal. Um... It is sort of similar to our kind of engagement period, a little bit, that we have in our country, but there's some pretty significant differences. First difference is uh, people can be betrothed by the, at the age of two. You know that? Two years old. They can be like, hey, my little son's kind of handsome, your little daughter's kind of handsome, you know what? Let's betroth them, and when they get adults, they're going to get married. They can betroth them at the age of two. Um, second, and this is interesting, that when there was a betrothal, they actually had a ceremony and a celebration. Kind of like a wedding celebration. So whenever they had a betrothal, they had a celebration. And after that celebration and ceremony, even though they weren't married, they were referred to as husband and wife. Now what I mean by that is, they didn't walk around as husband and wife, but they were referred to. Like if somebody would say, oh, that's Joseph, the husband of Mary, or that's Mary, the wife of Joseph, when they were betrothed. Third, to break a Jewish betrothal required a divorce. 
in their law. And fourth, if the man died while betrothed, before getting actual married, if the man died before betrothal, the woman would be considered a widow. So do you see how important a betrothal is to them? To us, we're like, we, we use engagements like it's candy, you know. Hey, let's get engaged. Oh, great. No, I love you no more. We're not engaged anymore. Hey, let's get engaged. No, hey, that's not how they view it. A betrothal to them was basically the, the, it was the marriage without being together as husband and wife. It was very serious. It was not something that, that Joseph could have just woke up one day and said, you know what? Sorry, Mary, I don't like you no more. It just didn't work that way. So, as they got older, and then when they got into the, the age of marriage, that betrothal period really took about, it was about a year time at that point. So when they got to the age of marriage, there was a year that was considered that real heavy betrothal period. And we know in this passage that Mary and Joseph were probably in that one year betrothal period. That's about where they were. And it tells that during that time, Gabriel came to Mary. So why did I tell you all that? Because I wanted you to grasp the significance of a betrothal before we get into what the angel's going to say to Mary. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Oh, wouldn't we love to hear that? How many of us would love to hear that? Every morning, this angel would just come up to you and say, greetings, favored one. The Lord's with you. Well, we, we do hear that every day, right? Scripture tells us the Lord is with you. Scripture tells us that we're favored. Scripture tells us that we're set apart. But we don't believe that, do we? We try to. We want to believe it, but we don't. But anyways, I love this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. I can't disagree with her. I'm sorry if an angel appeared in my house and said greetings, I would probably fall on my face, be scared to death, and the first thing run through my mind is, why is he here? Why? Why is an angel coming to see me? And it says she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, what that saying is, in other words, she was like, why are you here? That was it. She was trying to discern why he was here. I'm sure... We don't like to use the word fear. Here she had fear of the Lord because the angel was here and she had no idea why the angel's here. Also, understand, you'll see the humbleness in Mary and you'll understand why she was wondering. Now, verse 30 says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name... What does it say in your Bible, Samuel? Anybody have anything different? Huh? Anybody have Yeshua? Anybody ever heard that? Yeshua? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Yeshua is the Hebrew name. There's actually another pronunciation for it too, in the old Hebrew. But Yeshua is the Hebrew name. That is the name that the angel would have actually spoken. He wouldn't have said, you shall call him Jesus. He said, you'll call him Yeshua. We would know that name better as Joshua. Joshua. How many knew that? Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yep. <laughs> Lead, 
Lee's always one step ahead of me. Always. No, he's always one step. I love it. But we would know that name is Joshua. So how many know his name's Joshua? I don't see everybody's here like that. Whatever. His name's Joshua. Ah, I I would not doubt him. So actually the angel would have said, let's put it in our language, you shall call his name Joshua. So where do we get Jesus? Where does Jesus come from? Well, Jesus is the actual Greek Aramaic translation. So if they would have spoken in the Greek and Aramaic, that same name would be spoken as Jesus. So that's why it's important to understand the language. All of this stuff's going to be important here in a minute. We're also told a lot right here. We're told a lot more than just that fact. We're told that the baby is to be born. The angel said, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And just in that, right there, we, we are given confirmation of the, very, of the humanity, first off, of Jesus. So we're confirming his humanity. This is something that's a topic out there that is a lot of discussion about. How many, I mean, I'm hoping everybody here, don't raise your hand, but we all know Jesus is God, correct? There are some people and some teachings that don't believe that. They believe the Bible does, does not say that Christ is God, that Jesus is God, that, that his deity is God. Well, I'm going to show you just in these few verses that it declares not only his humanity, but it will declare his deity, God also. And that's the important thing. See, the humanity is of, that the Lord is, that he is, he is giving us his son, which we know is our savior. So it declares his humanity in the beginning. So we learn that he will be born as a complete and total, guess what? Human. Right? He'll be born as a human. He will be born in the flesh, he will be just like, well, not quite just like us, but he will be born like us. He will be human. Now, and that's important because we know what? Jesus came to do what for us? Represent us, right? How did he represent us? What did he do? You may know? Went to the cross, right? Yep, he became sin for us. He represented us on the cross as sinful humanity. Also, that's, how many remember when he got baptized? You know, there's this story in the Bible where, you know, he comes down, he meets this guy named John, and, right? And John, he's like, oh, I can't baptize you. And Jesus is like, yes, you must. He's like, okay. He baptized him. My version of the story. <laughs> that baptism was the representation of us. What I mean by that is that water baptism was identifying Jesus was identifying with sinful man at that baptism. And we'll talk more about that later. So he identified with us. He's going to represent us on the cross, which he did. Here's what I found interesting while I was studying this. I get many people asking sometimes, why, why did God have to send Jesus? Why did he have to send his son? Did he really have to put him in human form? Did he have to do all this? And yes, we understand there must be a sacrifice for sin. Absolutely. And animal sacrifices could not make the payment because unfortunately an animal can't be sacrificed and come back to life. So therefore it has to always be sacrificed. Jesus, on the other hand, was the perfect sacrifice because he was sinless as the lamb 
And he was sacrificed, but he was also risen from the dead and back to life. That's the important factor. But what you get out of this story is understanding his humanity in the fact that God sent Jesus as human so he could willfully give up his life. See, as humans, we have what? We have something called what? Free will. We can make decisions, right? So God sends Jesus in the human form, God in flesh, God incarnate. So he was able to willfully make, understand, make no mistake, they did not force him to go to the cross. It was, you could not have forced Jesus to go to that cross. If he did not want to go to the cross, did he have to go? He could have done what? Legions. Legions. There were, you could have not put him on the cross. The reason he came in human form is so he could willfully, his own free will choice, give up his life on the cross. And that's going to come into play here. That's very important. Guys, loved ones, you understand that the humanity, the Son of God, is very important to us. I think we forget that sometimes. It's very important as it relates to our understanding of our salvation. We, that's an important thing that we, we overlook sometimes. Um, that we understand that in his human form, he represented us, sinful man, on the cross. And because of that, salvation is available to us. So that's why we need to understand humanity. Now, verse 32, this is going to speak of his person and his mission. Oh, by the way, I'm going to say this, you'll probably read, hands down, hands down across history, all through history, nobody has made an impact on history like Jesus Christ. Would everybody agree with that? If you look back through everything in history, no person has influenced society more than Jesus Christ. Whether you're a believer or not, he has influenced you. So, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's his unique identity. The Son of the Most High God. That's a clear identification right there of his deity. We'll go further. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David. And that's a clear indication that the one to be born will be the Messiah. That he'll be the Messiah. And it refers to him having the throne of David. And I love it in the next verse. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. That verse sets aside Jesus different from any other king in the world. How? Kings rise and fall. Kings come and go. Kings live and die. Right? No, no king has had a kingdom forever. Here, in this verse, by saying this, the angel separates Jesus from any king because he says his kingdom will be forever. In other words, it will never fall. It will never die. It will never cease to exist it will be 
forever. So basically what the angel was saying is what we already know. He will be the king of kings. And that's, that's, that's a great statement there. Also, and Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if anybody remembers last week, what happened to Zachariah when he questioned Gabriel? Struggling. First off, how did Gabriel respond to him? That was the important part that we missed. You know, last week when Zachariah was like, well, you know, she's kind of old. He didn't go, Zachariah, let me explain. He said, I am Gabriel. That was his answer. And see, we read that, we're like, oh, cool, he's just identifying himself. You know, that response was basically saying, I am Gabriel. Gabriel was saying, I stand in the presence of God and speak of God. So Zechariah would have understood that, and he would have been fearful. And that response from Gabriel was basically saying, yeah, you're in the doghouse. Okay? But notice here, Mary's asking a question. But I don't see anywhere in Mary's story where Gabriel, like, all of a sudden stood up and was like, I am Gabriel, Mary. And boom, you will not speak. And everybody's like, oh, why, why is it different? Why, why did Mary get to ask the question? But Zechariah couldn't ask the question. The poor guy asked, he asked the question, and now he can't speak for nine months. What, what, what's going on here? So there's been a lot of people that's asked that question. And matter of fact, last week somebody actually asked me that question before we got into this sermon. They were like, well, what about Mary? What, you know, what's the difference there? How are we, uh, how did she get away with this? So the fun answer would make everybody feel good to be like, oh, she's a poor man. But no, that's not true. <laughs> because we know as men, when they ask us questions, we're certain ones. So, Zachariah's question last week, if we remember, his question was a question of doubt. Correct? He, it's not that he, Zechariah wasn't just simply asking because he wanted information. His question was a question of doubt. Because his question was, how can this be? My wife is of advanced age. In other words, he's saying, that's impossible. She's beyond the, eight, the years of bearing a child. So his question was a question of doubt. Mary was not rebuked because Mary's question was not a question of doubt. I'll show you what I mean by that. She said, how can this be? I am a virgin. She wasn't doubting what the angel was saying. She was simply asking how it's going to happen. You understand what I mean? She wasn't saying, I doubt what you're telling me. It's not going to happen. She was basically asking I believe what you're saying. How will this happen to me? Okay? So there's the major difference. Zachariah was doubting. Mary was seeking. Big difference. And I'm sure Mary knew how kids children were conceived. I mean, I'm sure she did. She knew the process. She knew how everything worked. She knew that that she was a virgin, and she did. It's not. She was looking at the angel like, "I believe what you're saying. Tell me how it's gonna. How's this gonna work?" That's the big difference. And you'll see later that when she goes to visit Elizabeth later, her, that Elizabeth speaks with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what does Elizabeth say? Elizabeth talks about how she blessed her for believing and having such great faith. So her question could not be a question of 
doubt or lack of faith. There is your difference. And I think sometimes us, that asking questions is not a bad thing when we're standing or praying to God. Asking questions is not a bad thing. The bad thing is asking a question because you doubt in your heart. That's the difference. And that's what we learn. Simple inquiry, not wrong. How else are we going to learn? You think, sometimes we picture God like, like this old man upstairs with a big white beard and a grumpy face, and he's like, and you're afraid, like, don't ask me a question. You should know this. How can you have? No. Asking a question is what we should do. We're supposed to speak to our Father like, we, like, he's, just like he's right here. Sometimes I think we need to have the perfect words when we speak and talk to our Father. Sometimes I think we think we need to sit down and be in prayer for hours. No. Uh, talk to your Father. Ask Him questions. But don't doubt what He tells us. That's the difference with us. We love to talk to our Father. We don't like the answer sometimes. And when we get that answer, we'll, we, we respond one or two ways. We either inquire or we doubt. We either want to go mute or we want to continue on. Um, I could go on that, but I want to get to this. Verse 35. And the angel answered her. Here's the answer the angel gave. It's not the same like he did Zechariah. He explains it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So what does this verse tell us? The first thing it tells us right off the bat is that this birth will be miraculous. It will be a miracle. That there will be nothing that Mary or anybody has to do or could do to make this happen. This birth will be miraculous. It's going to be a miracle. Contrary to nature through the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, that's the same thing that happened to Elizabeth, right? It was a miraculous birth. She was beyond the years to have children. She was barren all of her life. By all human eyes, she should never have conceived. Same thing with Mary. By all human eyes, she should not conceive. Side note, it's not recorded in the Gospel of Luke, but we read elsewhere in um, the book of Matthew. Did you know Joshua also received her husband, the brother also received the revelation from God about this? You know, he was told ahead of time. Also, what he was to name the child. You may remember reading that. Luke don't record it, but it is it is in Matthew and a couple other places. Um, and here's why I think the revelation was given to him. Because I think finding out that Mary was pregnant any other way would have been very hurtful to him. It would have been. I think it would have been crushing that he would have most certainly crushed. Because they're in that, remember we talked about that betrothal period. They're in that one year period. They've been betrothed. They are basically considered husband and wife. They're just not together. So they are basically considered to be together. And for him to find out that she was pregnant would have only have put one kind of thought in his mind. What naturally would anybody think if I'm engaged to someone Let's use our language. And all of a sudden, that person comes to me after we've been betrothed or engaged for a year. And we live like the Jewish people do 
like we're supposed to do and we're not engaged in marital relations prior to marriage, and that person comes to you and says, I am pregnant, how would you feel? Joshua would have had nothing left to assume but one thing. Huh? Joseph, I mean, I don't know why I said Joshua, sorry. Joseph would have only had one thing left to assume. One thing. And that, that would be, you know, that she'd been unfaithful. So, also, you guys know Joseph had, had the right to pursue this issue if she would have came to him and said she was pregnant. What I mean by that is, he would have had the right to have her, have her stunned. He could have literally, if she would have came to him and said, I'm pregnant, and he would assume that she was unfaithful in that relationship, her life would have been in danger because he, by all rights, could call for her stoning. We don't see, we don't think about that. He also had the right at that time to insist on divorce and insist on punishments. Say, so that doesn't happen in our culture, right? I don't want to be engaged to you no more. I'm like, yeah, sorry, done by. Nothing happens. Or the wife comes to you, or the man. Well, you know, uh, well, we were engaged, but you know, I, I met my new love, and uh, she's amazing. And she does for me what you can't. And I'm done with you. In Jewish culture, that's, that's you would be stoned. You would be stoned. You'd be drugged out the streets and stoned. So understand, God giving the revelation to Joseph was an act of mercy. Of God's mercy. Because he wanted to make sure that Joseph was prepared for what was coming. Because if he wouldn't have, that would not have been an act of grace or mercy at all. Because Joseph would have been put in a situation where he would have thought Mary was unfaithful. And in a situation where now he would have to Put, you put her in a situation that could be endangered for her life. So, that's why the Lord came to her. This is what he said. It's in Matthew chapter 1. I'll read it to you. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he finds out she's pregnant. And he resolves that I'm just going to quietly divorce her. Because he's a just man. Right? He's just going to put her away. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that is what the name Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation name means. And that's why that name was given to him. So, verse 36, back in Luke, goes on. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So, you're like, okay, so the angel just tells Mary, I'm going to have a child, I'm going to virgin, I'm going to conceive. She asks a question, how's it going to happen? The angel tells her how it's going to happen. And then he gives her proof. He says, your cousin, who was barren, who's well beyond birth years, who should not even have a child by all human means, guess what? She's pregnant in the sixth month. So what the angel's doing is say, telling her, 
What you think is impossible is not impossible with God. That's what he's saying to her. Nothing is impossible with God. Why do we forget that? We do. I do. I forget it. We'll look at things through our human eyes, just like everyone else, and we'll see something and we'll be like, I know God wants me to go there. I know he wants me to do this, but I can't get there. There's no possible. I just can't do it. Can you, can you imagine if everybody that God called responded that way? Every, if, every, if, if everybody God called, they're like, hey, God, don't see it. Sorry. And they give up. All through Scripture, we're told nothing is impossible with God. We read these stories, and I'm going to use the word stories. We read these stories, and that's exactly what we do. We're like, oh, those are good stories. That's great fun to read that. That's good stuff to read, good stories. But in the back of our mind, a lot of us are like, but it's not real. It's not real. I mean, the author probably exaggerated a little bit, right? You know, they didn't really part the Red Sea. I mean, probably had drought. And he went through some lower, some lower level water. We, we love to read the stories, but we don't love, or we don't like to wrap our mind around that nothing is impossible with God. So the angel here shows Mary again, while to you, Mary, you're a virgin, and this looks impossible. Your relative Elizabeth, who by all means should not be able to carry child, is with child. Telling her that nothing is impossible with God. So Mary receives the news. And what's her response? I like this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. How many wake up and say that? <laughs> I heard somebody laugh. How many wake up and say, I'm your servant. Do to me whatever is in your will. We don't pray that prayer, do we? We don't wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I am your servant. Be as you say. I'm yours. Whatever you say, let it be done. Our whole, our whole life, our whole attitude, our whole outlook on everything would change if we did that. But that is, that's hard. I'm going to admit it. That's hard. That is hard to pray. I mean, we read this story every Christmas, and like I said, most of us know this story inside and out. And I don't think sometimes we stop to look at the importance or the implication and power of those words coming from most likely a 15-year-old girl who received word from an angel which would be enough to instill fear in anyone. Right? We don't focus on the power of that statement. She receives the news. The Holy Spirit's going to overtake her in such a way that she will miraculously conceive and create this conception. In her womb is going to be the Holy Child who will be called the Son of the Most High God. For one second, stop and think if that was you. And her response is, let it be done. Knowing 
that this very action could cost her her life. And I'm sure, I'll be honest, I'm sure she had a lot of questions. I'm sure she did, but she only asked one. The rest of the questions, you know what she does? I give it to God. I give it to God. Married, young, betrothed, in a culture that was not friendly, being out of wedlock, pregnant, anything like that. Knowing what could happen to her, but knowing and trusting in God. And her response is, let it be done. I'm sure she probably thought, what am I going to think about this? What am I going to tell my family? Right? I'm sure she's thinking, how am I going to explain this to my family? Who would have, you know, what are they going to say? What, what, what's her family going to do? Is, is, is this going to be put her in danger with her family? You know, she's probably thinking, what's Joseph going to say? She doesn't know that Joseph got this vision from God yet. So this is probably running through her mind. I'm sure there's a thousand questions. And she, instead of insisting on answers, which is what you and I do, insist on answers, she gives it to God and lets it be done. I love her answer. She simply says, let it be done to me according to your word. According to your word. You know what we're talking about right here? It's a word. We throw around a lot. Faith. She's talking about faith. That's faith. And I'm not saying we're perfect. And I'm definitely going to be talking about Mary here in a minute in her humanity. Because I do not want us to think that Mary is up here. Is some kind of special person that has that has more faith than we could ever have and we are not. But what I am saying is a young, young betrothed lady facing everything she would have faced for this decision stood in the faith of the God that she held and said, let it be done. We, we get so whacked out sometimes in the world, and so twisted around with faith sometimes. But faith is not knowing what will happen. Well, sometimes I think we believe, I think that's what we think. I'll have faith as long as I know what's going to happen, right? I got faith as long as I know what's the end result of this. That's not faith. That is not faith. Faith is choosing to, to trust God when you have no idea what he's up to. When, when, when we have no idea what he's up to or how it's going to play out, we stand and say, let it be done. That's faith. That's the faith. And that is what Mary did. Choosing to say, I trust you. No matter what. No matter what it looks like. No matter what this decision is going to cost me. I trust you. That's faith. I let that sink in, huh? That's hard, I admit it is. It's hard. I struggle. It's hard. It's not easy. If it was easy, if 
would have to expand this church, all the walls on this church, because people would be here every day, because it would be easy. Nobody ever said it was easy, but they did always say that it's blessed. We'll talk about that, too. So, I would just say this. I'm very impressed with uh, Mary's godliness and her patience and her insightfulness that this little young girl had to trust the Lord. I, I'm very impressed by that. And it goes on. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she, ex and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So when she says the fruit of her womb, that, that automatically leads us to believe that when Mary got there, that the, the, the Christ child was already in her belly. That's what we believe, and that's what we picture from this. Even though it says Elizabeth's baby leaped, she said, bless what's in your, you know, the child that's in your womb. So we get the idea here that the Holy Spirit has already overtaken her, and the child is already in her womb. Now, Luke is preparing us here for something for, with what Elizabeth is saying. He's preparing us by telling us in verse 41 that Elizabeth was speaking as she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's important because it's telling us that the words that Elizabeth is speaking is inspired or spoken by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's... How, let me ask you this. They lived... Elizabeth lived here. Mary lived here. Elizabeth had no idea that an angel came to Mary said, you're going to be carrying the Son of God. Right? So when she, when, when he walked in the baby, so instantly the Holy Spirit, Luke is showing you, the Holy Spirit inspired her, worked through her, and spoke through her to let her know that this was the Son of God in Mary's belly. Now, some of us get confused when we read this passage about the fact that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason that might some people get confused is because, first off, if you've been around any of my studies, um, you know that no one received the indwelling spirit prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody received it. The indwelling spirit, nobody. And, and, I mean, that's true through Scripture. People were not indwelt by the spirit prior to Jesus giving the spirit. Okay? And it says here... And instead, do you remember when Jesus, when he was with the disciples and he was like, receive the Spirit? Anybody remember that story? We'll read it one day. But when he was with his disciples, Jesus, this was, uh, he meets with them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, what's that? Okay. So that's when the Holy Spirit came in. Use that word so we understand. That's when the Holy Spirit came in. In the well. I want you to remember that. But yet, we read here that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I understand that sometimes this language can be confusing. So, I want you to understand the terminology filled with the Holy Spirit. That's consistent throughout Scripture. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is consistent throughout Scripture. Old Testament, everything. So, how's the, everybody getting cold? Everybody good? Just checking. All right. 
because we turn the air on because it's too hot. So, uh, how many, in all the scripture we read that people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but every time we read that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's always for a reason of empowerment, to go do something or to act on something for God that they've been given to go do. So they've been given this. Sometimes it might be to prophesy, sometimes it's to act, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm talking about this, we're going to talk about a couple things in this that I wanted to point out about how many times as a believer do we do we get involved by the Holy Spirit? No wrong answer. Anybody get a guess? Who's who? Who's Right. Let me say this. One, indwelling of the Holy Spirit is all every believer ever gets. Many fillings. One, indwelling. Many fillings. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the minute you are a believer, you have as much of the Holy Spirit inside of you as you're ever going to have. Sometimes he might be a little more of you, but there are many fillings. And what I mean by that is, well, let me give you some examples. I'm going to use the book of Acts because there is some there are some places that believe that that I for some reason that I can be saved and come to salvation, but I don't have this Holy Spirit yet. And that I need to reach another level of Christianity, and then the Spirit pours into me, and now I've got this great massive gift. And, it's proof of the Spirit and all this stuff. Scripture is totally against that. Scripture is clear that upon your conversion, you have every bit of the Holy Spirit there is that you can ever have inside of you. Amen? As much as you could possibly have is in you at the moment of conversion. Now, Scripture is also clear that when we need a little boost to go do something that the Lord has called us to do, it will He will fill us. Refill us, and that means empower or energize or strengthen us together. It doesn't mean like, oh man, I gotta go do this, but I don't have any spirit today. Let me go, let me go check my spirit, you know, clock and do some let me drink a can of spirit so I can get going. That's not what it means. It means that I have all of the Holy Spirit the minute I'm converted, the minute that I am saved, the minute that I'm forgiven of my sins, I have it all. Every now and then I keep this guy. The Spirit has to kind of pick me up and give me some power and give me some energy to move along. So that's the difference. But here's some examples. In Acts 2, verse 4, it says, yeah, we just, anybody back here, we just shut that air off. Thanks, Rob. I know, I was, I'm getting it up here too. I'm like, if I'm cold up here, I know you're cold back there. So Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You're like, oh, touch that verse. All right. Anybody know what verse that is? I'll say it again. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them up. This is actually the first reference of the very first filling of the Holy Spirit upon believers when they were in the upper room. Right? And they were waiting, and she was told to go there to do my translation. They were told to go be in the upper room, and they were all up there waiting, and he said, the Spirit will fall upon you, and the Spirit fell upon them, and they started speaking all kinds of tongues, and that's what we're talking about. Alright, keep that in mind. But they had already received the indwelling spirit on resurrection night when Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the spirit. So if that's the case, then why do we say 
that Pentecost was the first time the Spirit had ever been given to the believers. That's incorrect. What's that? See, on resurrection night, as we'll call it, Christ breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Spirit. At that point, they received the Holy Spirit. In the upper room, when this was happening, they weren't receiving the Spirit again. It wasn't like they'd now reached some new level, and now they get, it's like a game, and they get a bonus level, and they get more Spirit now. That's not what it was. What it was, they were in the upper room. The Spirit powered them, gave them in strength, empowered them to go out and do. What were they to do? They were to preach. They were to bring the church. This was the first time they were going to go out and add to the church. So this point in Pentecost was not about some special level of Christianity. It was about the spirit that they already had living inside them saying, you know what? Pick me up by my bootstraps. Give me some power and get out there and preach the gospel. That's what happened there. Then the next one. Verse chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people of elders. And then the next one, chapter 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is actually referring to the same group of people that we just talked about, that we just talked about. This is not, an, again, not an indwelling, but a filling for the act of, to give them strength and power. How many times have you... Felt that God called something on your life and you knew you couldn't do it, but then all of a sudden you just felt like, you know what, nothing can stop me. That's the, that's the filling of the Spirit. That's the Spirit, basically, like I said, picking you up by your bootstraps and saying, look, I'm in here. You've got all of me. I'm inside you. Hey, wake up. Let me do this. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, chapter 9. What's Saul? Who knows Saul? Who was also called Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently. All of these, every single one of these, is a reference to an empowering by the Holy Spirit, not an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We, I want everybody to understand the minute you give your life to Christ, that Holy Spirit comes to you, indwells you, and you have more, all of the Holy Spirit you will ever need. It's just every now and then he's got to fill us back up and pick us up by our bootstraps. So if, if, that's, if that's what Scripture says, then why do we like to believe that I need, that I'm not there yet? There's teachings that say I, I'm not quite close enough yet, I'm not good enough as a Christian yet, because I don't have evidence of the Spirit. I've taught this, and I'll say it over and over again. There's one evidence of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with any kind of gift or miracle or anything else you can do. There's one evidence of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? What? Say it again. Love. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit, because if you don't have love, you do not have it. So if you, they, they want to tell you, hey... You want to hear somebody, well, you know what, you don't have any outward gifts, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you must not have the Holy Spirit. That is simply false. Evidence and fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul said it, Scripture says it a hundred times. You don't have love, you have nothing. So 
So I, I, I say that because I don't like seeing people defeated who are like, I, I, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and you know what? I can't do the things that this person does, and I can't do this. Maybe you're not supposed to. Everybody has a calling on their life, and it's not the same. The Holy Spirit does not give every single person every single gift exactly the same. Because if he did, it would not work. Everybody's different. That's why we're described as body parts. So that's what we're learning here. So I'm going to keep going. I could talk about this all day, but I wanted to make that clear. Back to Luke. Elizabeth. Now that we know that she was filled and inspired by the Spirit, which means she was, Elizabeth was picked up by her bootstraps and given the words to speak by the Holy Spirit, she says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from our Lord. What Elizabeth just said in that last statement. Blessed is she who believed. So therefore, that's the proof that back when Mary asked the question, it wasn't a question of doubt. Because Elizabeth just said, Blessed are you for believing. So she didn't doubt it, she believed it. Now, I want to keep moving on to 46. As we move on to verse 46, this is the important part of the sermon, and we'll wrap up here. I won't drag this on too far. I wanted to get a little farther in Luke, but I probably my the people that are here know me better, so. But I, I have to keep a timeline. I've told everybody because, you know, on the Sunday the 20th, I, I want to be at the birth. That's my plan. So I've got to keep a timeline this time. So I'm going to do my best to keep it. But we're going to get started on verse 46. Now we're moving into something called, has anybody ever heard? It's called Mary's Song. Okay. That's what this is referred to. It's called Mary's Song. Now that doesn't mean that they were singing. Mary didn't run around going, oh, I'm singing this verse. The reason we call it Mary's Song is because it's a, it's filled with declarations of God's beauty and his honor and his love and his faithfulness. So that's why we call it that. Um, so in verse 46 and Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. We should, we should be saying that more often. I think we should, we should wake up every day and say that. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. He is the one who's magnified, not Mary. She's not saying, woohoo, look at me. I was chosen. Yep, that's me. I'm carrying the Messiah right here. She has a shirt with a little thing that says Messiah. And there's one down. You know, that's, that's, that's not what she's doing. She's not. I can sit there with a bumper sticker on a car that says Messiah on board, right? No, that's not what she's doing. She says, she says, I'm, my soul magnifies the Lord. This doesn't magnify me. It means nothing. I, it magnifies the Lord. So she's showing the humbleness. She is, he's the one being magnified. She is declaring in that statement that she's just a vessel. She's just a vessel. She's not saying, I'm Mary, the mother of God. She's saying, let the Lord be magnified because he chose me to be the vessel to do this. 
That's so powerful. And then it says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed. There's been much about that verse, and some people have taken that word blessed to a whole new extreme. But what Mary is basically saying is exactly what we're doing today. We have called her blessed, right? For generations. We're calling her blessed today. In the story of Christmas, every time we read the Gospels, she's blessed. We call her blessed. That doesn't mean Mary is many things. And we're going to look at some things here about Mary. Verse 47, did you notice that she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? My Savior. She said, my Savior. So let me ask you a question on that. How many saviors are there? One? There's one Savior, right? I think Isaiah answered that too, because that's the answer. He said, I am the Lord, and besides me there is what? No one. No other Savior. I am the Lord. Okay. So, again, how many saviors? One? So that's seen clearly in Scripture, right? One Savior. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. One Savior, right? Okay. How many have heard from other people that Jesus was a great man, but he wasn't God? There's, I'm not going to throw stones at any religion that's out there, but there are. And they will say Jesus isn't God. Okay. So, how many, how many saviors? One. Okay. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to show you Jesus is God in the very next verse. Luke 2, verse 11. We'll be getting to this next week. It says in there, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. What does it say? A Savior. How many Saviors? What did Isaiah just say? I am the Lord God and I am the only Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior. So Jesus Christ has to be God. Right? Because scripture does not contradict itself. So for those who have tried to push the idea that Jesus is not God, he was a great man, well then, what do you say to that? That's so important that we understand Jesus is God. And I know we do. But I'm saying, there's our power there's our, and I'm not throwing stones because it, it is freeing for someone who's stuck in a bad teaching. It is freeing for them to really understand the truth and all of that weight to be taken away from them. That's why we talk about that. So, we see that uh, the angels made this declaration. It says, unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. We know who he is. He's Jehovah God made flesh. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal Almighty God made flesh. It's as clear as it can be, Jesus is God. I don't understand how you can get any other idea or anything from Scripture, because, I mean, we could spend the whole day and I could bring out all kinds of stuff, but how you can get that he's not God. Another interesting thing about her statement here, and I wrote a lot of notes on this, she refers to God here as my Savior. She could have said a Savior, right? She said my Savior. She made it personal. Um, and before I say the next part, I'm not casting stones. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. Facebook land. I'm not stoning anybody here. 
How many know Roman Catholicism? And I wanted to do a study, because we're talking about Mary, but I did a study on the dogma, which, uh, anybody ever heard of what they call the Immaculate Conception? Okay. So, I'm going to read to you what that actually is. In the Roman Catholic Church, the Immaculate Conception states that Mary was kept free from the pollution or stain of the original sin and therefore needed no Savior. That sin. They teach and they believe that Mary was not polluted with the original sin. She was kept separate and therefore needed no Savior. Okay? If that's the case, Mary in this beautiful song said, What? My Savior. So, Mary was just like us. Okay? Mary was not separated from sin and protected by God so the stain of sin never touched her. Mary was just like us. Like you and I needing a Savior. And she said, my Savior. So I say that because, yes, we bless Mary. She was chosen for a great honor. Just like us. Just like us. And again, like I said, I'm not I'm not casting stones, but I'll tell you what. I know a lot of Roman Catholics who have converted to Christianity, and there's something about their humble, loving spirit. I don't know if it's because they've been freed from that 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 weight that's upon them, and they finally have realized the freedom in Christ, because I'm telling you if, you, if you've ever seen one or you've ever met a Roman or a Roman Catholic who's converted to Christianity, they're the most humble, Christ-loving people. And I think the reason I want you to know this is because I want you to be able to offer that freedom to someone. Because none of us want to be weighted down like that, right? It's horrible. We have enough things in our lives weighing us down than some religional doctrine that says I've got to hold you down a little more. Freedom. Freedom. Mary said, my Savior. Now, again, like I said, we're going to wrap up on this. This does not take away from her favored status at all. This doesn't take away from Mary's beauty of her heart. It doesn't take away her faith. It doesn't take away how we honor her at all. By saying she was just like us doesn't take any of that away. It doesn't matter. In fact, it actually raises it. I will tell you something else. But she was a human being. And being a human being, she was born into sin just like you. Just like me. And she needed a Savior. She understood that. Mary was an extraordinary woman. She calls herself blessed, as a matter of fact. But I want to tell you a few things, and we'll close on this. Mary is a lot of things. But there's some things she isn't. Another thing I want to talk about. Mary is not somebody we pray to. And I know this is going to trick some people, probably on Facebook. But again, I want the freedom instead of the, instead of the chains. Mary is not someone we pray to. 
Over and over and over in Scripture, Jesus tells us to pray to who? Our Heavenly Father. When he taught us to pray, how did he start? Our Father, which art in heaven. We are never, ever, ever told in Scripture to pray to Mary. Or to anyone else other than God. Okay? So, loved ones, again, I'm not stoning for Catholic friends. I have Catholic friends. What I'm trying to do is give them, is to show the freedom to come out from under this, that, that there's, there's freedom in Jesus. Okay? And we're not to pray to anybody. Another thing, we are not to confess our sins to Mary. We are not, matter of fact, we're not to confess our sins to anybody but who? God. So if anybody ever tells you that, hey, you need to confess your sins, but you must do it through me, Wrong. Wrong. Nobody needs, there's one mediator. Scripture says, who's the mediator? Does it say Mary is our mediator? Does it say uh, a priest is our mediator? Does it say some pastor is our mediator? One mediator, Jesus Christ. Mary is many things. She's not free from sin. She's not our mediator. We don't pray to her. Mary was simply a humble, loving servant of God that when was put to the test said, let it be done. Amen. And if we remember that, we'll remember we can do the same thing. And he can do the same thing in our lives. You know, I preach every week up here and I talk a lot about this stuff and we listen and we study and, and you know, we're you guys can get ready. Um, but I want to read these last couple verses, and we're going to wrap up. But I'm not saying, I'm not telling you these things so we can be haughty and look down our nose and be like, look, I know the truth, you don't. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just telling us these things so we have the ammunition to free somebody, to let them see Christ and see the freedom in Christ. Because, you know, I talked before when I say freedom in Christ, I don't mean freedom to go do whatever you want to do. But I don't have to tell you. Because when you truly love God, you want to serve Him. And in freedom, come serving. It's a big difference, just like a child. If I, if I want to get a child to do something, if I tell him to do it ten times, he'll do it, right? Right? I mean, if I keep telling him, he'll eventually do it. Actually, no, the typical child or even us adult men, you tell us to do something, we're doing exactly the opposite. But the freedom in Christ comes in where he doesn't have to tell us because he loved us so much and because we understand the love and the freedom that we were given, we want to serve him. And that's, you know, and as we come into this holiday season, I don't know, I just, it's just simply beautiful what Mary does here. She's praising the, the Lord and declaring his goodness of what he is doing through her. But the reason she's praising him, I, I thought about this, she's praising him because of what comes through her is the blessing that's going to happen that God is giving beyond her. I can imagine that she's very new to the scriptures. And I can imagine she's sitting there in her mind and going, you know what? Through me, God is answering the promises that he made. 
He's sending the Messiah. He's sending the Savior of the world. God is fulfilling his promise. It wasn't about her. See, we, we need to understand this was not about her. She was praising God because he chose her to be the vessel to bring the one who could save the world. And I know we hear that. It's cliche. And we listen to it all the time. And, you know, maybe you're not saved and you've heard it over and over again. But I'm telling you right now, if, you, if you've never experienced it, or if you're experiencing a life where you just feel like nothing is right, it's because he, he's missing. We were created to love and serve God. That's what we were created for. We will search for everything we can find to serve. Because we have a hole that needs God. We do it, and we'll, we'll look for it in everything, whether it be drinking, alcohol, sex, pornography, television, addictions, gambling. We'll search because our, we need it. But until we find God, we don't have any hope. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say that I don't know if anybody, if anybody here feels like they need, today is the day they need to come to Christ. I, I, I just feel like, I'm gonna, I don't do this often. My church will tell you this. I don't do this often. If, if anybody feels like they need Christ today, I, I want them. Come, come, come down. Come down to the altar. And I'm only going to ask this because I just feel, I feel somebody needs it. I just do. I know there's somebody in this room I, that, that wants to or they've been trying to or they, they thought they had or they're not sure and they want to now. And I know it's hard and it's embarrassing and they might feel like they're going to be embarrassed about it, but I, I'm telling you right now, I feel that somebody needs to come down here today. I do. Oh my. Amen. And I'm just going to have you come down here and we're going to, I'm going to have Chris, Chris, what's Chris name? We borrowed some of the worship team from Heather and him. But uh, I'm going to have them come down. I know it's a bold, this is a bold step to come up here. Bold step. But I'm going to tell you, I just, I, I just knew it. I knew it. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I've only met you today. But I know one thing. I know Jesus has been looking for you his whole life. And he's just been waiting. And this is the time right now that he needs to, what we talked about today, coming and living in your life. I mean, do you, do you understand that you need him? Do you understand why you need him? And I'm sure you've been searching for a long time. I'm going to tell you, he's, he's here to wait. We're going to do a prayer. And then from that point on, we're going to, we're going to give forgiveness of your sins and we're going to you and start working and changing and strengthening you. Are you ready?
the You know what? I, I say this and also the congregation. I mean, a baby Christian is the best Christian in the world. Because they have no inhibitions, right? They don't have any theology, they don't have anything like they know one thing. Just what you know. Need him. And that's that's all you need to know is I need him. Because we're not gonna be perfect. I'm not perfect. I fall on my face, we all do all the time. But we know I need him. That's that's the humble. It's like Mary. Let it be done. We're here to love on you now. We're here to love on you before, but now we're here to really love. Amen. 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 Well, like I said, for those who, you know, those who come here, you know, how often do I do that? Yeah. 
whatever. No, I just, I just, just, I, want, I just felt it, and I just also know Mary's an example for us. I, I, I so love that if we could, we could focus on the Christmas story, on what Christ and what God was telling us in the inspirational writings, what He was really telling us, instead of Hollywoodizing the story. You know, we we can grow so much. But uh, on that note, I'm going to give up talking so I can get everybody out of here. Well, but before I close on that, before we pray, tonight at 7 p.m. we have a we have Ann Wilson coming up with her Christmas tour from Nashville, Tennessee. She's a capital Christian recording artist. For those who haven't seen her, some of us have. She's been here a couple times. She is amazing. It'll be tonight at 7. It is free. So please come. You will not regret Ann Wilson. She will blow, she's going to blow the roof off this place. Um, so I invite everybody to come. But on that note, um, I'm going to pray real 